Welcome to the Art of Teaching podcast. I'm Matthew Green and I'm so grateful that you joined me today. Today's episode is another discussion with an incredible educator. Dr. Lynn Sharrett combines academic theory with hands-on educational leadership experience. She has a track record for substantially increasing school district performance, and she's a professor and best-selling author. In this episode, we talk about the disturbing fact that 12% of the world's population, that's close to 781 million people, are illiterate, the importance of putting faces to the data, how we can ensure teacher buy-in when we're thinking about school reform, the importance of working collaboratively in an evidence-based way to improve student outcomes, and her most recent work, Clarity, What Matters Most in Learning, Teaching and Leading. It was wonderful to talk to Lynn and I can't wait to share this discussion with you. It is so wonderful to get to speak to you. Thanks so much, Matthew. And uh, we're uh, we're talking between Australia and Canada. I live in Ontario, Canada, uh, the the largest uh, province in Canada and the most populated. And uh, we're currently in our third lockdown, so uh, we're feeling pretty stressed as educators. And um, the vaccine rollout is happening, but not nearly fast enough for all of us. So um, um, it's really great to talk to you today. It's so Thanks wonderful. It's so wonderful to get to talk over the uh, the medium of Zoom. It feels like uh, I think that is one of the one of the great things that have sort of come out of this pandemic. As it, I think it's caused us to stop and pause. And, uh, and have a think and reconnect. So I'm incredibly grateful for your time. Uh, Lynn, I, I'm aware that it's uh, getting towards the evening over there and it's the morning here. So I'm sure you have lots of things to be doing. So we're gonna get started. Lynn, I just wanted to know, where did it all start for you and why have you decided to commit your life to education? Hmm. So I've always wanted to be a teacher. And uh, as early as grade three, I can remember asking my father to make me a pointer and a blackboard. And I lined all my stuffed toys uh, and stuffed animals up on the bed and and taught school. And I've really never looked back. Um, So for me, uh, becoming a teacher was what I wanted to do in primary school and secondary school and then uh, went after secondary school to uh, a faculty of education and then it was only after that that I realized that I needed more education so then I went back to school and taught at the same time and got my Bachelor of Arts degree and then my master's degree and finally um, graduated with a doctorate Uh, some years later, but always teaching the whole time. So it's been my lifeline, really. Fantastic. It sounds like you have um, managed to keep a foot in both camps, so a foot in the classroom and also a foot in academia. And and do you think that has helped you to have an understanding of what teachers are going through? Absolutely. So I still teach. I've always taught. And uh, my students are just a little bit older 
uh, their teachers, principals, superintendents who are now uh, wanting to get their doctoral degrees. And uh, I coordinate the internship program at the University of Toronto. So um, I'm still teaching and uh, everything that I believe in, in terms of assessment that informs instruction, um, I try out on my students and it works. Fantastic. It sounds like you... So that really helps me to become a practitioner. Yeah, absolutely. So, Lynn, you mentioned that you have been, you've been teaching for a long time and now you're teaching um, uh, school leaders and instructing school leaders, as we will talk about in your amazing work, Clarity. How do you, how do you keep so excited about teaching and so passionate? Because um, when you mentioned uh, your, your history in education, you started to smile and you lit up. And, and I wonder how you maintain that passion and maintain that excitement despite um, the time that you've spent teaching. Well, I, I think the passion and the excitement comes um, when I think about the students who are the faces in the data. And uh, that title came to me uh, many years ago when I was a superintendent in a very large school district here in Ontario. And I always talked to my colleagues about putting faces on the data. Then I was at a conference with Michael Fullen uh, presenting and somebody came up. He was a researcher, uh, uh, I think a professor uh, in Michigan in the United States. And he said, if you don't write the book called Putting Faces on the Data, I will. Because that's what you said in your presentation. And I said, oh, well, um, yep, we're going to write that book. So you better not because we're going to <laughs> to Michael and said I think we're writing another book so yeah that that really um, excites me that we're actually talking about um, the faces of our students and we're committing to uh, find the best teaching practices we can to make a difference for every student sorry fantastic so why do you think it is so important to put faces on the data of us uh, for, sorry, faces uh, to our students. Why is it important, do you think, for us to know them as individuals as opposed to cohorts? Yeah. So uh, for me, Matthew, it goes back to data, really. Um, statistical data that's really frightening. Um, there are 12% of the world's population is considered functionally illiterate. Uh, only having basic or below basic literacy skills in their native languages. Um, you know, 781 million people across the globe cannot read or write. Gosh. And 126 million youth are illiterate. And that, that comes from the stats from the International Literacy Association 2018. So hopefully those stats have uh, decreased a bit, but I'm not optimistic. So I've spent my life thinking about the importance of every student, the students behind the data, being able to read, write, do mathematics and think critically. It's, it's so, so important and despite your um, influence and your, um, your vast career, there is still so much to be done. I mean, those statistics are just terrifying. As you mentioned, 12% of the world's population, that, that's close to 781 million people. Uh, that is uh, a, a, an unacceptable amount of people. And so 
yeah. I think personalizing it is so important. Yeah, I've just uh, done an Instagram. I do Faces Friday on Instagram, and I've just done a little piece, uh, and I've entitled it, Illiteracy is Indecent. Uh, I'm just so committed to uh, ringing the alarm bells. What will it take for us to put the resources we need into early literacy learning? Yeah, absolutely. I know one of the... Um the greatest joys that I have as a parent, I, you just met my two children before when they stormed in the room, um, is seeing them go to bed at night holding a book. And none of them are able to uh, to read yet. One is 18 months and one is yeah. just three and a half. But just that... that they will. Yeah, just that understanding and that desire for literacy, I think, is so important. And we are, I mean, in Australia, we are in, incredibly fortunate, as you are in Canada, but there is still so much work to be done in terms yes. of empowering um, young readers and um, uh, getting them to to enjoy and actively participate in literacy, I think it's a wonderful, a wonderful yeah. cause. Um, it's. I, I wanted to just briefly talk about um, your incredible work, Clarity. Um, I have my copy here. It's been sitting on the side of my bed um, for quite a long time and very well highlighted. Um, Professor John Hattie, uh, who. Uh, we have a, a connection with him through the University of Melbourne. Um, I'm also, oh, I'm an alumni there. Um, he used a quote at the beginning of your book, and just bear with me as I, as I read it. It says, a tale should be judicious, clear and succinct, the language plain, the incidents well linked. Tell not as new what everyone knows, and no, sorry, new or old shall hasten a close. And that's from William, William Cowper. What do you think? Professor John Hattie decided to begin the foreword of your book in this way. Um, yeah, I, I think I think it's about make haste uh, slowly. Yeah. I think uh, it's about uh, I think it's uh, uh, lente festina, uh, or perhaps the other way around uh, in uh, in Latin and. Uh, I think he uh, is really delving deeply into ensuring that uh, we hasten slowly to ensure that we have quality teaching in every classroom. Yeah. And, and that's our core business. To me, quality teaching means um, assessment that informs instruction in every subject area. Fantastic. I agree. I, I think we are, uh, it is an incredible privilege to be, uh, to get to do what we do, uh, to stand in front of a group of children and to mould and to shape them and help build them into um, the citizens of the future. I think there is no greater privilege. And for me, um, I never want to take that lightly, that someone has entrusted us yeah. and entrusted me with their children. I know when I hand my own children over to daycare in the morning, there's nothing more precious, and every single day, millions of parents across the world do that as educators, and that is something which cannot be underestimated and, and understated, and it's an incredible privilege. Absolutely, and you know, um, when Michael Fullen and I wrote our first two books together, um, we researched and developed the 14 parameters, and there are really 14 areas that make a difference to system and school improvement, and underlying each parameter is the foundational belief that all students can learn, and they can learn to read and write do mathematics and think critically. So literacy um, is the foundational piece through all that research and that continues in clarity. 
Absolutely. And for those people that aren't familiar with the work, we, we couldn't possibly do it justice in our discussion today. There's, there's so much in there and I would definitely encourage uh, everyone listening to grab the book. Um, Lynn, just a, a couple of questions um, about teacher buy-in and implementing sustained change. I just wanted to get your thoughts on a few points. So how do we ensure that um, teacher buy-in, sorry, how do we ensure that teachers are actually engaged and buy-in when we're thinking about school reform? And also, how do we, a follow-up question, how do we ensure that all teachers feel part of the transitions that are happening within schools? You've obviously yeah. worked in schools at a much broader level, but would you mind sharing a few thoughts about that? Yeah, for sure. I think that's my number one uh, worry, sustainability, and how we um, create the urgency in all teachers and leaders to make a difference and know the best uh, uh, and most impactful teaching practices to teach all students and um, that teacher buy-in is huge so we can uh, we can provide professional learning all we want for leaders across the globe but unless we think about sustainability and driving improvement into every classroom and having teachers buy-in nothing will make a difference so in that vein um, I've developed with my colleagues the Clarity Learning Suite, yeah. uh, which is a 24-7 web-based resource that reflects Clarity. But the idea is that it's for teachers and leaders. Yeah. And I think that is so important. We can't just have leaders uh, learning this work. We have to have them walking alongside all teachers. So. To me, the Clarity Learning Suite is a whole system and a whole school approach to improvement where we get the buy-in from our teachers. Yeah. It's strategic and it's um, absolutely necessary. Absolutely. And Lynn, just to let you know, we'll put all of these uh, links to all of your great resources in the show notes so people will will have those. It's really, really important. Um, we talked briefly about um, how you have kind of successfully kept a foot in both camps, so the, the leadership camp and also the day-to-day -day teaching. Um, how important do you think it is for, um, for leaders to be to stay in touch with what is happening in their classrooms and what role do you think that plays when yeah. making those decisions? You know, I've really come to learn, Matthew, that leadership drives everything. It's absolutely foundational uh, in our work that we must understand the importance of leadership. And so uh, for me, leaders play that huge role in having teachers walk alongside them and learn together. So it, it leads me to um, think about the book I wrote with Beata Planch, Leading Collaborative Learning. Mm -hmm. It's all about collaboration. It's about leaving your ego at the door and your title at the door, rolling up your sleeves and having case management meetings, for example, right alongside our teachers. So we're always talking about um, the importance of um, collaborating focused on students' faces and those students come to a case management meeting through a piece of student work. So to me, when I think about data, I think of that student work is the best data we have. Yeah, and that's, that's really important and leads really uh, nicely to our next question is how do we begin to uh, break down those assumptions and also how do we make sure we're focusing on the right things because there is a, 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 an immense amount of data that's available, but how do we make sure that this data is meaningful and that we're using this data to drive our, our student learning? 
Well, I think sometimes we're, there's just a deluge, or as Michael and I say, a glut of data. So what we have to, I think, discern is what will be the data that, data that informs teaching the very next minute. So we can have all kinds of data. And I, and I think um, interpreted wisely, all data is useful. But the most important data um, to our teachers and students and leaders would be data in the classroom, student work as data that then informs um, students about where they are and, uh, and then there are many tools in Clarity that talk about uh, students coming to the learning wall to talk about where their next steps are and how they're going to get there is a student teacher conference. Yeah, absolutely. So if you're walking into a classroom that embodies these, um, uh, these types of assessment, I'm assuming you'll be looking for things like student work samples on the wall, uh, yeah. using um, yeah. a mix of both formative and summative assessment data. Yeah. excuse me, different types of ways of determining where the students are at. Um, are, are there any other things that you would add to that that you would expect to see in some yeah. of the amazing classrooms? Well, it's really, it's really interesting that you ask because I talk about the um, learning spaces as the third teacher. Yeah. So the first teacher is the parent, the second teacher is the classroom teacher, and the third teacher are the learning spaces and they're beautiful in Australia and uh, so they're outside they're inside the classroom those learning spaces where um, students have scaffolds to think through their next steps but one of the other things that um, we started in Ontario we called them performance walls but as I worked with them in Australia we've called them bump it up walls and I just love that name so bump it up walls are visual um, visual way students can learn this is where my piece of work is now and here's the next level of work and then a conversation about how do you get from this piece of work to the next piece of work is bump it up and there are some great examples of bump it up but Matthew I'd also say the other way we can know if students are learning in classrooms are the five questions I asked during learning walks and talks and they tell you everything yeah. Um, Lynn, it's really, um, it's really exciting to hear you talk about some of these new, um, not new, sorry, some of these uh, uh, incredible ways that we can engage students and involve them in their own learning. Um, it really goes against our traditional notions, I think, of what a classroom is, which of course, and this is uh, well outdated, that students are sitting down and that they are, um, uh, uh, they, they are just absorbing the information from the teachers. I love I love a noisy classroom, a productive classroom where children are getting up and helping themselves to, to word walls and uh, looking at their work and they have models of what good ones look like. And um, do you, would you mind talking a little bit about what a, what a productive classroom looks like? What should we be looking for? What sort of discussions should, would you expect to see with yeah. us? So, so I would, um, when I go in classrooms and uh, you can't find the teacher, that's the best thing. And um, I'm, I'm watching to see who's doing the most talking and who's doing the most thinking. And I think those are two really important questions. Uh, so I'm often looking for students teaching other students. I'm looking for teachers taking a running record uh, at a guided reading table with a small group of uh, students that uh, need a bit more help. Uh, I'm looking at uh, pairs of students that are solving a wicked problem. Uh, 
I'm, I'm looking for other students who are having a conversation at the bump it up wall, deciding that they actually can evaluate their own work where they are and talking with someone else to get some feedback about what their next steps are. Yeah. So uh, in those classrooms, I really enjoy asking the students the five questions. And the five questions are, what are you learning and why? How are you doing? Or you say, how are you going? Uh, how do you know how you're going? And how can you improve? And where do you go for help? So those five questions, when I have an opportunity to chat with a student one-on-one, -on -one, um, really tell me everything about what's happening in the classroom. And really, it tells me about precision and practice. Do students know what they're learning? Do they know the learning intentions? Have they co-constructed the success criteria so they really know how to be successful? Have they been giving and getting feedback against those success criteria? And finally, can they peer and self-assess and set their own goals for learning, which is the ultimate? Amazing. It's I'm current, I'm thinking now about my own classroom and where I can implement and continue to implement some of these amazing strategies. And one of the things that I'm really proud of is um, developing that ability for my students to become self-reflective learners, to become learners that know where to find the answer. And and one of the things that I, I really love about your work is it it really refocuses on why we're here, which is to empower our students in our classroom. And also, to be perfectly honest, as an educator, when I have a classroom that is running smoothly, I, I say smoothly, when I have, when there is structure in my classroom, when my students yeah. are self-directed, it actually takes the pressure off me because it's not all about me as the educator up there imparting knowledge. It's about exactly. going on a learning journey with our students. Um, yeah. but Lynn, we've touched uh, really briefly on sort of the importance of um, that continuous improvement uh, with staff. How do we make sure that as a school, um, as a school uh, organization and also a broader school district that we are um, maintaining and sustaining momentum for continuous improvement. What are some of the things that you've seen at a broader yeah. level in your role about that continuous improvement? Well, I really advocate for learning fairs and I think system leaders who uh, in, are involved in professional learning uh, alongside school teams really uh, probably the most effective way to um, ensure that professional learning uh, becomes the norm and that there's an expectation that school teams that come together to learn will then ensure that all teachers know what they know and what they've learned. And then at the end of a learning, so when I work with a jurisdiction at the end of my time with them, I usually spend two or three years with them uh, a couple of times each year, then we have a celebratory learning fair where it's time for the schools to give back um, about their learning journey, what they've learned, uh, what were some challenges, what are their next steps. And uh, really it's about knowledge mobilization, which is a big part of our work here um, in Ontario and at the university where I work. Knowledge mobilization has a real, um, body of evidence uh, that uh, it makes a difference when we have collegial collaborative sharing uh, of the learning journey so that you can share your successes and your challenges and learn from each other. So that to me is a culminating event which is so important to the work.
Fantastic. And Lynn, I, I want to be respectful of your time. So just a couple more uh, questions just to wrap up and then we'll uh, talk about how people can find more about your amazing work. Um, it would be amiss of me uh, to ask um, about the current pandemic, which is happening and the, imp the impact that that has had on education. Uh, what are some of the things that you um, are seeing at the moment as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic um, yeah. in Ontario um, and also broader? And do you think that um, do you feel positive about how the education systems have responded to it? Yeah, I, th I think um, as in Melbourne, we've been really suffering here in Ontario with our third uh, stay-at-home order. And uh, we've seen uh, drastic increases in, um, in the number of cases. And, uh, and we're not rolling out the vaccine as quickly as we'd all like it to be uh, rolled out. I, I think teachers have been incredibly resilient. And so I'm at the coal face now because my two grandsons are with me and we're learning from home because their mom and dad um, are frontline workers. So um, they're here with us and the teachers are incredibly well prepared. If this is any, um, I guess, uh, if this is a mirror of what uh, we're seeing in other places, uh, teachers have stepped up. One of the things that I think we need to be open to as leaders is some of the teachers who've stepped up who we weren't aware uh, were leaders. I think we're seeing some aspiring leaders um, that we need to ensure we embrace uh, because we're seeing leaders who are teaching each other um, digital uh, tools as they teach them. Uh, we're seeing teachers who are open to uh, students teaching them. Um, we're seeing some uh, incredible um, I think ties to the parent community. And uh, that's been really positive. And uh, I've noticed that parents really have appreciated knowing the specificity around a unit of study that's been developed by um, their teacher. They really have appreciated knowing the learning intentions, the success criteria, how that looks when teachers co-construct that online. So I think there are some positive things that have come out of something that's been really tragic. Absolutely. And um, Lynn, what a, um, a great place to start to wrap up our interview uh, with, uh, with, with comments about the amazing jobs uh, that teachers are doing. Um, I'm a huge fan of educators. I think that we have the, uh, the most complicated job in the world and also it, it's the most privileged profession in the world yeah. so it's so wonderful to see educators across school districts across the globe really yeah. stepping up and, and and putting their students first it's incredibly inspiring it is and you know I, i'm just looking at our boys and um you know they're reading they're talking about their reading and they're so diligent with their homework uh every morning we do that homework and it's just attributable to uh, the way this the teachers have prepared them i'm really impressed with our teachers and also i think it's a, a testament to how incredibly resilient our students are um yeah. and their ability to under the right uh, conditions to be able to drive their learning. I mean, um, uh, students are absolutely incredible and it's so wonderful to see um, 
students taking control of their own learning in many ways. Um, yeah, absolutely. They know what to do. They know how to negotiate the Google Classroom. <laughs> and I'm learning. So uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's really exciting. There are some downsides, absolutely. Yes. And there are big worries, but our students are becoming more and more resilient and uh, evaluators of their own progress, which is so exciting. Fantastic. Faces on the data. That absolutely is. It absolutely is. And and as I mentioned before, for those people that haven't had the chance to um, check out Lynn's amazing book, Clarity, please do that. I'll put links in the show notes. Um, uh, one final question, uh, Lynn, where can we find out more about you? How can people stay in touch with your incredible work? Uh, well, I, I have a website. Uh, so www.lynnsherritt.com. Uh, I also do Faces Friday on Instagram every week. So that's Lynn underscore Sherritt. And uh, I, that's probably L-Y-N underscore S-H-A-R-R-A-T-T. And I love Twitter. So I, I see Twitter as an international professional learning community. So at Lynn Sherritt, um, I'm always engaging with people there as well. So I look forward to uh, talking with anyone from your audience, Matthew. Thank you so much for having me. Lynn, you're so welcome. I really do appreciate you taking the time. It's an incredible privilege and I can't wait to see more of your work. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the Art of Teaching podcast today. I hope that you, like me, got some valuable insights out of our discussion. For show notes, please visit theartofteachingpodcast.com. I've one favour to ask. If you could please head to the iTunes page of the podcast and rate and review the episode. This would really help to get the interviews and resources to as many people as possible. Also, I've created a private Facebook group so that we can continue the discussion after each episode. The link is in the show notes. Thank you again for listening and until next time.